Welcome to Term Talk, a Federal Judicial Center video podcast. Each term, we discuss the Supreme Court cases most important to federal judges. Joining me is Professor Laurie Levinson, Director of the Center for Ethical Advocacy at Loyola Law School, and Professor Susanna Sherry, the Herman O. Lowenstein Chair in Law at Vanderbilt University Law School. Thanks to both of you for joining us today to highlight the importance of these two criminal law cases. Both of these cases we'll look at involve the retroactive application of law and procedural rules. Important in Jones versus Mississippi was the lack of specificity in the judge's finding. In Edwards versus Vanoy, the court considers when or if changes to criminal procedure can be substantial enough to trigger retroactivity. Let's start with the Jones case, Lori. Will you take us through that one, please? Yes, absolutely, Jim. In this case, Jones was 15 years old when he got in a fight with his grandfather, and he ended up stabbing his grandfather eight times and killing him. The sentence that he got for that on the murder conviction was life without the possibility of parole, even though he was a juvenile. Now, after that happened, in 2012, the Supreme Court decided the case of Miller versus Alabama. And the Supreme Court said that you could not have mandatory LWOP sentences for juveniles. And then four years later, in Montgomery versus Louisiana, the Supreme Court said that Miller would be retroactive. So Jones came back to court and said that he should be resentenced and given a sentence that it would allow for parole at some date. The judge heard the testimony in that case, but summarily gave him the LWOP sentence again without making a specific finding that he was incorrigible or why he was incorrigible. And that's the issue that Jones took up to the Supreme Court. So, Susanna, the challenge in this case was not whether the judge considered factors associated with youth. That wasn't challenged. The challenge was to the lack of findings on the record on that point. So what did the court say about it? Well, writing for the majority, Justice Kavanaugh said that all that Miller requires is a discretionary rather than absolute or automatic sentencing procedure. It doesn't require an on-the-record explanation, and it doesn't even require an explicit finding of permanent incorrigibility. In this case, the state court judge had said on the record that factors that were relevant to youthful culpability were in fact considered and constitutionally that was enough. The court did mention that states can, if they wish, require more specific findings or set their own sentencing limits, but nothing further is required by the Constitution. I should mention that Justice Thomas concurred and said that in his view, Montgomery was wrong. That is, Miller was only a procedural change. It was not a watershed procedural change. And so it never should have been applied retroactively in the first place. So, and that's a position that comes up again in Edwards versus Benoit, the one we'll discuss later. But Laurie, what did the dissent have to say about the ruling in Jones? Well, Justice Sotomayor, joined by Justices Breyer and Kagan, said, this is the very type of case that Miller was designed for, that if you look at the record in this case, Jones was young, he had been abused, he had mental problems, the fight itself with his grandfather became over a, a, a relationship, and that in fact he tried to give his grandfather CPR and even explain it to his grandmother. And he presented witnesses who said that he wasn't incorrigible. So what the dissent was saying is that it's not enough just to have a judge make a blanket finding at the end without explaining why this person should never get parole. 
He's a different person at 31 than he was at 15. Susanna, what do you think is the takeaway from this? I think the case weakens Miller. Um, the majority basically is allowing lower courts, state courts, nearly complete discretion. Um, and it doesn't leave any apparent way to challenge uh, a court's decision to impose LWOP or ensure that courts are properly applying the constitutionally required factors. All right, Susanna, let's turn to our second case, Edwards versus Vanoy. Um, would you get us started on that one? Please. Yeah, this, this case is, is consistent with Justice Thomas's discussion uh, in the last case of the Teague v. Lane watershed exception that allows some procedural rules to be applied retroactively. In fact, it signals the end of that watershed exception. A little bit of background. Last year, the court held in Ramos v. Louisiana that the Sixth Amendment requires state verdicts in criminal cases to be unanimous. This overturned the 1957 case of Apodaca v. Or Oregon, which had allowed non-unanimous verdicts in state cases, although not in federal cases. So Edwards was convicted in state court of armed robbery, kidnapping, and rape, but it was through a verdict of 11 to 1 on some of the counts and 10 to 2 on the others. He was sentenced to life without parole, and he challenged his sentence under Ramos, and the court was faced with the question, does Ramos apply retroactively? Again, the majority opinion was written by Justice Kavanaugh, and he concluded that Ramos was a procedural change, not a substantive one, and thus it can't be applied retroactively unless it's a watershed change in procedure. And the court went on to find that the Ramos did not work a watershed change. That part of the case is not really surprising. It's consistent with a lot of precedent that has found different procedural rules not to be watershed changes. But the court did more than just add to that list of non-watershed procedural changes. It ended the watershed exception for procedural rules entirely. Here's what it said. It said it is time, probably long past time, to make explicit what has become increasingly apparent to bench and bar over the last 32 years. New procedural rules do not apply retroactively on federal collateral review. Laurie, what did the dissent look at it differently? Can you tell us how? Indeed, Justice Kagan, writing for the dissenters, Justices Breyer and Sotomayor joined her, said that, look, what they held in Ramos is that a verdict of less than 12 unanimous jurors is not a legitimate verdict. And that has to be the type of watershed procedural change that is accepted retroactively. But what really concerned the dissent was this idea that the court, without being asked by the parties, got rid of under Teague, the watershed procedural rule. They agreed this was procedural. They just said that, why are we getting rid of this procedural rule, watershed rule, uh, when in fact it wasn't even asked to be done in this case? Susanna, what do you think of the takeaways in this one? I I think the most important takeaways are the ones about stare decisis. As, as Lori mentioned, the parties didn't ask for this part of Teague to be overruled. The court didn't discuss or analyze the ordinary factors that go into 
uh, the decision of whether a case should be overturned. In, instead, it, it justified overturning the, the, cha the exception simply because it had never been used in 32 years. It seems to me that that's a good reason for not overruling it. It's not causing any problems. So, so I think that this signals that this majority doesn't have much reverence for stare decisis. Um, and that, that signals that some other old precedents could be in serious jeopardy. Susanna, Laurie, it was a pleasure seeing you both again and talking with you about these cases today. Thank you again for joining us.